You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. If you're anything like me, you don't like to wait. We have this in common, don't we? We don't like to wait for anything. We want the shortest line at the store, the quickest delivery time. If we go to a restaurant and the wait is too long, we may just go somewhere else. Amen? That's it? Really? Just Willie. That's all. (laughs) We're the only ones who don't like to wait. That's it. Everybody else is fine. An hour and a half, that's good, as long as the steak is, is, is cooked properly. We want to be first on the list. We don't want to wait any longer than we have to. We want an express lane, and if the express lane is closed, we're unhappy. And our culture kind of forms this, doesn't it? It it creates this in us. We are encouraged to want things quickly. We live in the digital age, and we want faster download times, and, and we want faster deliveries. And if Amazon Prime takes a week instead of two days, they are slipping on the job and regressing. And it's like that now, isn't it? We want it fast, and they've conditioned us to want it fast, and when they can't meet that standard and expectation, we get unhappy. Our culture reinforces this and forms us. We might ought to say our culture deforms us in this way, with these expectations. Your way, right away, right now, no delay. You kind of take that and hold on to it, just sort of put it there, and then step back and look at it through a Christian lens. We might notice, however, though, that the Christian faith, our Christian faith, invites us to be people who wait patiently. Think about the the year, Advent and Lent. There are these seasons of waiting that are built into our worship rhythms. And even churches that aren't rigorously devoted to the Christian year, still tend to pay attention to these seasons of waiting, like the one we're in now. Advent, which isn't quite Christmas yet, but is more of a, can we carve out some space in our busyness to remember that we're called to be a people who wait. In the midst of a weary world, We step back, and we pause, and we cultivate this posture of waiting. And that comes around again before the season of Easter, doesn't it? In Lent, we're, we're given time in the calendar to resist all of those things our culture encourages. Hurry up. Get it done. We don't have time for this. Make it happen. Make it shorter. Make it quicker. Get there faster. And the, 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 the Christian year says, slow down. Take it easy. Wait. Don't be in such a hurry to get to Christmas. Slow down. The Christian year is this way, I think because the Bible across its pages encourages us to be people who wait patiently on what our God desires to do. We're going to spend some time reflecting on Zechariah and Elizabeth and their posture towards the weight they were required to engage in and endure. And then we're going to spend some time reflecting on how that is really quite consistent with the whole canon of Scripture. 
through some specific instances in particular. And as we think about this text, and as we think about how this text sits within the context of God's work through history, in the past and in our present, we'll begin to see, I believe, that if we're unwilling to wait for God's work, we'll also be unlikely to experience His best. Take that as the bottom line today. If we're unlikely, unwilling to wait for God's work, we're unlikely to experience God's best. Zechariah and Elizabeth offer us a case study in waiting, don't they? Before we even get to them, we are reminded that the entire nation of Israel is waiting. They're waiting for something. They've been waiting for something for hundreds of years. Ever since they returned from exile and the presence of God left the temple, we never get some majestic image where God's presence returns to the temple. There's no Shekinah glory that has come back and the priests have resumed their duties and the people are in their land, but they're not in charge. The Roman Empire is in charge. And before the Roman Empire, it was Greeks and Persians and different groups were were oppressing them and basically made them slaves. And God's favor had not apparently returned. And they're waiting for this. The thing they're waiting for in Luke's gospel is called the consolation of Israel. You'll remember after Jesus is born, he's taken the temple to be dedicated, and they meet that guy named Simeon. And Simeon's an older fella, and he's been waiting, Luke tells us, for the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting for God to do what he would do after centuries, hundreds of years, to console and restore and redeem and free his people. Simi sort of gives us this image of how the people of God ought to be behaving. Patiently and engaged, awaiting God to console his people. So the whole nation of Israel is waiting. Some of them are waiting well, and some of them are waiting poorly. I suggest to you now that Zechariah was waiting poorly. He's doing things. He's a priest. He's doing his job. He goes into the temple. He's, he's, he's offering his sacrifices. But my worry with Zechariah, unlike Simeon later in the gospel, who appears to be eagerly and patiently awaiting God's work, Zechariah, I fear, was really just going through the motions. That he wasn't waiting in a posture of anticipation and patience and Faith, like I trust you, God, to do what you're going to do. However long it takes, you'll do it at the right time. Because we get Zechariah, who engages in the rituals, does what the priests are supposed to do, but when God acts, he responds with disbelief, doesn't he? Which suggests to me that he wasn't even expecting God to do anything anyway. Because if he had gone into that temple every day, it's my turn, I'm going to go in, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to worship Him, I'm going to show up for church engaged. Expecting God to do something. It's not just going to be a box I tick this week. I'm going to show up and I'm going to offer myself with the body of Christ, the people of God, I'm going to offer myself. Zechariah doesn't have that posture, does he? He shows up. It's his turn to serve after... We've been there, haven't we? It's my turn to keep the nursery. (laughs) 
He shows up. It's his turn. But when he shows up, the posture is not a posture of God is faithful. God will act. God will save us. He will rescue us. I mean, those kinds of words may have come out of his mouth, but we know what we know what it feels like to say the words and not mean them, don't we? So he's waiting, but it doesn't seem like he's waiting very well, does it? Because when Gabriel shows up, and Gabriel, like other angelic creatures, when they show up, it's impressive. Notice the first word out of angels' mouths is always, don't be afraid. Suggest they didn't look like the ornaments on your tree, okay? This is not a precious moment, cute little baby with a harp and a halo kind of, these are fierce-looking guys, and people are scared of them almost, like always. And so he should, like, he's in the temple, he's offering, doing his duties, going through the ritual, and the mess, an angel of God shows up. The angel of God has got a message of hope and good news. It's almost like Gabriel is saying, it's time for that weary world to rejoice, isn't it? There appeared to him, this is verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. Fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. You can imagine Gabriel's got a smile on his face when he says this. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We'll come back to that in a second. You'll name him John. You'll have joy. You'll have gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. He's got these ascetic vows, and, and he's going to be set apart. He's going to be consecrated to the work of God. But before his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his presence is going to be a reconciling, restoring, redeeming presence, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Redeemer. And you would think, right, if you show up engaged waiting well, practicing waiting in faith. You would think you would respond to that with joy and excitement and trust. But that's not how Zechariah responds, is it? How do I know? This is legit. How can, like, my wife is old, and I'm old, and everybody knows it. And then you, you can sort of imagine the smile fading from Gabriel's face at this moment. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And the consequence for Zechariah with his poor waiting is that he's going to have to wait some more. <laughs> Nine months and eight days to be about, to, to, for, to, for precision's sake, without saying a word. You're going to be mute. You won't be able to speak. It's going to be a period of waiting. And it's going to be a time for you to learn to wait well.
So that when God acts, you're ready for it. So that when God acts, you are engaged. So that when God acts, you trust Him. Nine months of silence. No speaking. Imagine the frustration that comes with that. We hear later on that Zechariah has to use a writing tablet (laughs) to tell everybody what John's name is going to be. You get the impression that he and Elizabeth had sort of worked this out, and he's got to scribble out some some marks to communicate what he's thinking or or what he wants or, or what he needs. And in that process, he's learning to wait. And the indication from the text is that he learned to wait well. Because the moment his lips and his tongue and his vocal cords are released, he began to speak praises to God. So this guy, over that course of nine months, period of waiting, goes from doubting the Word of God to praising God. Beforehand, he wasn't waiting very well. He wasn't being formed in faith. But in this period, he learned how to expect God to keep His promises. We may think, does it really take that long? Like nine months is a long time to not say anything. Try going nine minutes this afternoon. Not during your nap, but like when you're hanging out. And I think one of the things we need to recognize is that you can only learn to wait well by practicing it. Nine minutes isn't much of a wait. Nine days of silence probably wouldn't have done the trick for Zechariah. Nine months. I mean, how many of us stay on a project if it takes nine months? That's too long. We've got to figure out a quicker way. It's got to be an express lane to get this job done. We see Zechariah embody this, this reality. As a priest in the temple, he doesn't experience God's best He's not waiting well for God to work. And imagine all the things he missed out on with Elizabeth. Remember those nine months when you carried your child and the joy and excitement that you shared with your spouse. What color do you think his hair will be? His eyes. It look like your family or my family. There's all those exciting moments that are there between a husband and a wife as they eagerly expect the arrival of a child. Preparations to be made. And all of that was stunningly compounded and frustrated by the fact that Zechariah couldn't say anything over that entire time. Imagine what that would be like in your own pregnancy or in your life. And he missed out on God's best, this moment of joy and excitement and and 
unparalleled, like the power of God opening up Sarah's womb. Way later in life than that would normally happen. And all of the excitement, like this is a moment of joy. And he misses out on all of that in his family and in his community because he wasn't ready for God to work when God was ready to work. He's unwilling to wait for God to work. And he doesn't experience God's best in that moment. And the people around him don't experience God's best in that moment. There's this waiting that If we're familiar with the larger picture of Scripture, then we know waiting is something the people of God have to do a lot. Go back to Genesis. Genesis 12, God makes Abraham, Abraham Abram a promise. I'm going to use your family to bless the nations. We get to chapter 15, Abraham's complaining. I don't have a son. Everything I own is going to go to a slave in my house. What's the deal? How are you going to keep your promise, God? He's not waiting well, is he? God says, come outside, take a look at the stars. Try to count them if you can. I'm going to give you more children than the innumerable stars in the sky. And then God makes a covenant with Abraham. As the covenant is being made, God says to Abraham, know this, I'm going to give you a family and I'm going to give your family this piece of land, but know this for certain, your offspring will be aliens in a land not their own, and they'll be slaves there, and they'll be oppressed for 400 years. This is the time that the people of God would be in Egypt before God would powerfully rescue them through Moses. Your family's going to get my blessing, but you're going to have to wait 400 years. The text offers a few reasons for that. I suspect there are probably more reasons than we get in this text. But from the start, the people of God have to wait on God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, The disciples are told by Jesus after the resurrection, go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait. And if they're like us, they're probably thinking, wait, what? Is this this is the time? That's their question. Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Like we've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. You just got raised from the dead. Hello, this has got to be the time. And Jesus says, go wait for the gift, for the spirit. Probably waited a week or so. You can imagine on day five, maybe day three, some of them were saying, are we really just sitting here waiting? Like he just was raised and ascended and we're just sitting here waiting. What's taking so long? But imagine what they miss out on if they're unwilling to wait. Pentecost, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And their willingness to wait for God's work, to do it at the right time, when he decides, means they will experience his best. But an unwillingness, we're not going to wait on you, God. We want to run this on our timetable. 
They don't experience his best. The people of God don't experience God's best when that's our posture. This comes up later on in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, we hear that some people in the early church are asking the question, where in the world is Jesus after all? We kind of thought he'd go off and do the ascension thing in heaven and come back rather quickly. After all, we've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now we wait more. Where is he? What's up? Where's the promise? Did he tell the truth? Do we need to figure out something else? Is there some other Messiah we should be looking for? Do we trust him? Those are the kinds of questions that are being asked 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came. Peter writes back and says this. The reason he is delaying his return is so that even more can come to repentance. And that, that sort of that posture, notice this, right? If my question is in that setting, right, it's let's say it's 40 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he's gone off and ascended to heaven. And the church is growing and all this stuff's happening. We're like, where is he? Why hasn't he come back yet? I'd like to see him. I want him to show up. Where's my focus there? Peter says, why don't you take that focus and flip it the other way and invite some more people to repent? Why? So that they can experience God's best. So they can experience God's best. If we're unwilling to wait for God to work as he desires to work, when he desires to work, we will miss out on his best. And we're no longer in a position to help others experience his best for them. Redemption, cleansing, wholeness, reconciled relationship to the God who loves them, to the Jesus who gave himself for them. So just across the canon, and this is three examples, we could find dozens more where the people of God are called upon to take a posture of waiting. And typically, that goes along with, this isn't about you primarily. So stop thinking about what you want and your agenda and what you need and focus on God, Christ, the gospel, and his mission. Abraham, I'm going to have to give all my stuff to a slave in my house. The people that Peter was writing to, why hasn't he come back already? We'd like to get on with this. And in both instances, the answer is, I'm going to use you to bless all the families of the earth, Abraham. So just, and that's going to take some time, so get ready to wait. And church, get on with the mission. Because I want to use you fill the world with my beauty. The question that they should be asking, the question we should be asking is, what are God's purposes in the midst of this waiting, not why are we having to wait? In these seasons, like Advent and Lent, later on, in these texts, people like Zechariah, who doesn't wait very well, but learns to wait well, because the question shifted, not why is this taking so long, but what are God's purposes in this season? What's he want to do? 
how does he want to transform me? And there's some, there's some, some aspects to those practices that we would do well to notice. The first is this. The practice of waiting is not passive, it's active. Right? It's not passive where I just sort of say, well, I got an appointment later on, and I don't have anything to do between now and then, so maybe I'll just go take a nap and chill for a little while while I wait. Right? That would be passive waiting. I'm disengaged. I'm not engaged in some sort of preparation or something like that. Active waiting for whatever my appointment would be would, would be something like, well, let me go uh, jot down some of the things that we need to cover in that appointment. And let me be prepared. Let me, be in, let me practice some things that are going to help me succeed and make this meeting valuable for me and this other person that I'm meeting, meeting with. You see the difference between a passive waiting and an active waiting. So the kind of waiting that we are invited to do in Scripture by Jesus, by God, the triune God, is this active and engaged faithful waiting. Not going through the motions merely. Yeah, I'll show up for church. Yeah, I'll say the creed. Yeah, I'll sing the songs. But this active and engaged, I am waiting for God to work. And as I wait, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son. And I am reminded of that faith that belief, that trust, week in and week out with the people of God, actively waiting, actively engaged, not just going through the motions, but actively engaged in preparation. And that requires vigilance, doesn't it? It requires vigilance because we've talked about how our culture encourages this hurried posture, this impatience, like hurry up, Get it done, get on to the next thing, make it happen. And so with the entire 24 hours a day, seven days a week culture impressing that you don't have to wait for anything posture, we've got to be pretty vigilant in the discipline and the practice of waiting well. Or else we will very easily find ourselves just going through those motions. We wait intentionally, and we wait vigilantly. Sometimes God calls us to do things that will take weeks, months, even years. Maybe centuries. And that takes vigilance. The practice of waiting also reminds us, and this is really important because we stumble into this quite easily, that we are not God. Whenever we start fussing at God... It means we're playing God. I'm going to say that again. Whenever I fuss at God, I'm playing God. God, why haven't you given me a son? A slave in my house is going to get my money. Playing God, Abraham. The timing isn't up to you. It's up to the one who called you and commissioned you. God, why didn't that work out the way I wanted? Why didn't my life go the way I wanted to? Why didn't my kids do what I wanted them to do? Why, why isn't this happening the way? Why didn't the pastor do what I wanted him to do? <laughs> Anytime we start getting into this expectation of it being my way, we are in danger of putting ourselves in God's place. And God gives us the practice of waiting. As a consistent reminder, O'Reilly, 
You are not God. You don't call the shots. You can fill your name in. When we become impatient, we become impatient because we think we ought to be in control, don't we? But the practice of waiting helps us to resist that impulse. The waiting is difficult because sometimes it feels like time is wasted. Other times it feels like the bad guys or evil is winning. been a crazy couple years and plenty of folks during the pandemic were thinking like why doesn't Jesus just come back asking the same kind of questions that Peter was dealing with and we talked about a moment ago why didn't God just fix it like why do we have to deal with this weariness frustration and it looks like evil powers are are growing and getting stronger and it looks like the like like the church is weaker and what's the deal what gives Hard to do, isn't it? Feels like evil advances and it feels like, like time is wasted. But God invites us to step back and take it in the big picture. He is always at work and He is always at work well and He is always at work at the right time because He is wise. And so, in the meantime, we learn to wait well. We gather. We worship, we come to the sacraments, we receive what He offers us, we pray, we meet, we sing, we give, we serve, all of these things. Help us become good waiters. People who wait well on the Lord. And they help us experience grace in the waiting. The good news is, despite our frustrations, God always acts at the right time. Always. It's Advent. Christmas is coming. We're expecting Jesus. We're going to celebrate His first coming and we're going to look forward to His second coming. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this of the birth of Jesus. Galatians 4.4 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, for this purpose, in order to redeem those that are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. When the fullness of time came, some translations say, at the right time, Jesus came. At the right time, God acted. At the right time, God worked to save His people. To console and heal and bring joy. At the right time. So the question for all of us as we reflect on the invitation that Scripture gives us to be the kind of people who wait well, the question simply is, which area of my life am I not waiting well in? Where am I being impatient? Where am I saying, do we have to wait that long? Where am I saying, could we get on with this? Where am I saying, what is taking so much time? Where's the place in my heart? Maybe it's 
Why is this rift in my family taking so long to heal? Maybe it's, why is my health taking so long to be restored? Maybe it's, why is my boss waiting so long to recognize my contribution to this organization? Whatever it is. The question for us becomes, Jesus, not why is this taking so long, but what do you want to do in the season of waiting? The one who loved us and gave himself for us, whose arms were spread, whose body was pierced, whose blood was shed. will be at work in the waiting to reproduce his life and his character and his perfect love in your life. But if we're unwilling to let him be in charge of that, we'll also be unlikely to experience his best. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.